at 6 o'clock, they are going to present God with us. I'm looking forward to that. It is going to be a wonderful evening. Now, last week, we concluded Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And this morning, we begin looking at his second letter to that church. As we begin, let me go back and review what he was saying in the first letter. First of all, he wanted to encourage them in the faith. This was a new band of believers, a church plant, young Christians. And so he wrote the first letter to encourage them in the faith that they might remain committed to the Lord. Secondly, he wanted to deal with the false accusations that were made against him. Paul had enemies in Thessalonica. They literally ran him out of town. He left with a threat on his life. And then after they ran him out of town, those enemies said to these believers, Paul left you because he doesn't care anything about you. He left you because he doesn't love you. And so Paul wrote saying, that is not true. I love you. I am committed to you. The third thing he did in that first letter was to emphasize the return of Christ. In fact, in every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, he mentions the return of Christ. And the fourth thing he wanted to do was to encourage them in holiness. You see, they lived in a very ungodly society. And Paul was saying to them, that is not acceptable for those who claim to be followers of Christ. If someone is a follower of Christ, it is expected that that person will live a holy life. And so that's what he did in that first letter. Now, he wrote the second letter from Corinth. Things had not gotten better for the Thessalonians. In fact, persecution had become worse. And there were those in the church who had begun to believe they were living within the great tribulation period. There were some in the church who literally quit work, waiting for the return of Christ. Now, Paul rebuked them for that because when they quit work, it meant they became dependent on the others for support. And that's when Paul said to them, no, you can't do that. You don't withdraw he said, because if you do not work, then you do not eat. So we come now to the second letter. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, 
when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always, that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you probably noticed that Paul's second letter begins almost identical to his first letter. And he begins by expressing confidence in these people. These are new believers, and Paul expresses his confidence in them. He commends them for growing spiritually. Now, we see the signs of their maturity here. First of all, he says that their faith was flourishing. Look at verse number 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. Greatly enlarged literally means to increase beyond ordinary degree. It depicts a tree that grows rapidly and begins to bear fruit before it is expected. Now, that's what he is saying about their faith. You see... Faith is the seed that brought them to Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. So they had put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. So faith then is the seed and faithfulness is the fruit of that seed. Now not just talk about faith, but deeds of faith. James said in James chapter 2 verse 18, Someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, folks, we are not saved by works, but we are saved by a faith that works. Now, Paul is saying to them that your faith is flourishing. They had put their faith in Jesus Christ. They had become a child of God, and in faithfulness, was the fruit of that faith. Then he says that their love was limitless. In verse number 3b, And the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Ever greater is a picture of a river that is overflowing its banks. So when he speaks of their love for each other, he said it is like a river that is overflowing its banks. Now Paul had prayed for their love. In his first letter, he had prayed that they might be loving towards each other. If you'll notice there in his first letter in chapter 3, verse number 12, he said, So that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. May the Lord increase your love. May the Lord increase your love. Paul is saying to them, I have prayed for your love. And God has answered that prayer. What happened to them? And this is not unusual. As a result of their suffering, they looked upward to God for strength. Now, when they saw God, 
They looked out to the other believers in love. So as a result of their suffering, they looked up to God for strength. When they saw the, God, uh, the Lord, then their love for each other began to overflow. I think that is a natural consequence of someone who knows the Lord. Folks, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you cannot help but be loving. He also commends them because they were persecuted, but they persevered. Verse number four. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Word proudly there. Paul says that I speak proudly of you. Now, the word proudly that he uses does not mean to brag, but it means to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone. So Paul says, I I have great confidence in you. He said, as I talk to the other churches, I have great confidence in you. He mentions their persecutions. The word that he uses describes a systematic attempt to oppress and harass the Christians. In other words, the other Thessalonians who had not become followers of Christ not only were hostile to these believers, but they had organized against them. That's what the word persecution means. Not only were they hostile to these believers, but they had organized against them. David Hubbard wrote a book on Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. And he draws a comparison between afflictions and persecutions. He wrote, Affliction flows from the frailties of our humanity and the uncertainties of our universe. So, Afflictions, then, could be illness, accidents, things of that nature. Now, he continues. Persecution erupts from the evil hearts and perverted minds of our fellow men. That's why persecution is so much harder to take than other kinds of trials. It comes from those who should be brothers. And then this I I found to be very significant. Perhaps that is what sparked the persecution. If the Christians were right, their countrymen who did not accept the message was wrong. When a believer today says that he or she believes in traditional marriage, marriage between a man and a woman, then there is immediate hostility directed toward that person. Why? Because if you're right, that's wrong. When we say today that we believe in the sanctity of life and we stand against abortion, there is immediate hostility. Why? Because if that's right, that's wrong. If we say that there is only one way of salvation, and that way is in Jesus Christ, and there is no other way, there is immediate hostility directed toward that person. Why? Because if that is right, this is wrong, and these are lost. That's what was happening to the Thessalonians. Their fellow Thessalonians were persecuting them because they stood for the truth 
And if that were truth, then this is wrong. But Paul commends them for their perseverance. The word perseverance that is used literally means spiritual stamina. It is the ability to hang in there. It is the ability to stay the course. See, that's what Stephen did. Stephen stayed the course. Even when he was stoned, he stayed the course. That's what Paul did when he was in prison facing the executioner. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished the course. Henceforth, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. He stayed the course. Perseverance. Walt Disney is not found in the Bible, but he made a good statement. He said, all the adversity I've had in my life, all my troubles and obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth may be the best thing in the world for you. Paul commended them for their maturity, their growing maturity. He said, your faith is flourishing. Your love is limitless. And even though you are persecuted, you persevere. So he begins by commending them. Then there is the promise of righteous judgment in verse number five. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. You know, the truth is sometimes we are disheartened when we see bad things and there seems to be no justice. Right? David struggled with that in the 73rd Psalm. You can read the 73rd Psalm, and there David is struggling with that idea. He said, I look around, he said, I see good people suffering. And he said, I see evil people who seem to prosper in life. Have I cleansed my heart in vain? And he struggles with that idea. But Paul is saying here, but you need to understand, there will be a day of righteous judgment. And he said, the believers will receive relief in verse number 7. And to give relief to you who are afflicted. You might recall the old story told by Jerry Clower about some guys who had gone out coon hunting. And he said they treed a coon and one of them got up in the tree to get the coon. And when he was there, the coon began to scratch and bite and claw and all that. And this guy is just getting torn apart. The people down on the ground couldn't shoot up there because he was up there and Finally, he yelled down. He said, just shoot up here amongst us. Somebody's got to get some relief. (laughs) Sometimes we, we feel that way. I mean, we are going through these difficult times in life, and it's just shoot up here amongst us. Somebody has to get some relief. Paul says there's coming a day for relief for the believer. Now, on what is the basis of our relief? Well, first of all, we belong to God. Look at verse number one. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father. He says that we are in God. Hubbard wrote, we are in God as soldiers in a fortress. We are in God as refugees in a shelter. We are in God as ships protected in a harbor. If you're a believer, you are in God, our Father. Do you think of God as being... Father. See, Jesus popularized that idea of God being the Father. His first recorded words, know ye not that I must be about 
my father's business. His last recorded words, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So Paul is saying that we belong to God. We are in God, our Father. We are blessed by God in verse number 2. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by grace that we become a child of God. The result of grace is peace in your life. And that is the reason that a believer can have peace even during times of persecution. When Paul and Silas were in prison, the Bible says that it was midnight and they were singing praises to the Lord. They had the peace that passes all understanding. So he says we belong to God, we are blessed by God, and we are kept by God. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1.12, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know your condition as a believer? Do you understand your security as a believer? The Bible says that if you are a believer, that you are placed in the hand of God. That you are covered by the blood of Jesus. And you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, if someone can break the seal, disannul the blood of Jesus, and pry open the hand of God, then you are not secure. He said that we are kept by God. So he says, for believers, there is relief. For unbelievers, there is retribution. Verse number 8. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Commentator wrote, the second coming of the Lord Jesus also guarantees punishment for those who have resisted the faith. The tables will be turned. Those who have done the afflicting will themselves be afflicted. He said that he would repay with affliction in verse number 6. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. But see, here's the struggle that we have when someone does us wrong because of our commitment to Christ. We want retribution now. And sometimes we try to give retribution now. That's not your job. That that's the Lord's job, and he does it according to his time. I was reading yesterday in Esther the story of Haman. It's an, it's an interesting story, and if, if you don't recall all about it, but Haman hated Mordecai, and he built a gallows for on which Mordecai was going to be hung. And he thought that he had the ear of the king. And then the king called Haman in. He said to him, he said, you know, what does a king do for a man he wants to honor? Well, Haman said, well, that must be me. There's no one more worthy of honor than I. And so he said, well, what you should do is get the king's horse and the king's robe that he has worn and uh, get a prince and have him to walk him through the streets saying, this is what the king does to a man he wants to honor. And the king says, what a great idea. And I want you to do that for Mordecai. Haman was not real pleased with that. But he had to do it, and then he ended up being hung on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. You see, folks, God works things out according to his timetable. He repays according to his timetable. He says they will repay with affliction, and they will pay the penalty in verse number 9. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Did you notice that? He says these are going to repay 
with eternal destruction. Jesus said in Mark 9, 44, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In verse 46, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Eternal destruction. And then he says, away from the Lord. Point that's interesting to me about that is that those who reject Jesus in this life will spend eternity without him. See, if you determine that I want to live my life without God, then you will get what you wish. You will live eternity without God. In Psalm chapter 81, verse 11 and 12, the psalmist wrote, And Israel did not obey me. So what happened? So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. This is what I believe. I believe that you can determine to live your life apart from God. You can determine to live your life apart from the Word of God. And there can come a time when the Lord says, okay... I'm going to allow you to live as you wish and suffer the consequences of your decision. I think that's what happened to the Israelites. They would not obey me, and God says, so I said, do it your way and suffer the consequences. When the Lord first called me into ministry, a friend of mine and I used to go down to the Skid Rose in the city where we live. I really met some people down there. As I talked with them, I believe had at one time known the Lord. But they lived their own life apart from God, and I think there came a time when God said, you can live as you choose, but you're going to suffer the consequence of your decision. Folks, you can do that. That's the thing that burdens me sometimes as a pastor. I look out on the congregation. I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but I'm I'm not stupid either. And I know that there are some of you involved in some things that you know you ought not be involved in. And I'm up here thinking, if you continue down that path, it is going to be devastating to your life. It is going to be devastating to your family. That's, that's what happens. And that's what he says here. The Bible says that there will be eternal destruction. You'll be away from the Lord. Bill Hybels spoke about someone in hell. He said, you'd give anything for annihilation, but it's unavailable. Only the conscious continuation of emotional anguish, physical anguish, relational anguish, and spiritual anguish forever. So there's a promise of righteous judgment. Paul says this coming a day of righteous judgment. Got to make things right. Then there is a prayer for faithful service. He prayed for their worthiness. Verse number 11. To this end also we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling. Bind says the word worthy means of weight or worth. You might recall in the seventh chapter of Luke where a centurion came to Jesus to request that Jesus give healing to his servant. And then there were some men who knew the centurion who came to recommend him to Jesus. And the Bible says, and when they had come to Jesus, they earnestly entreated him saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. Now, why did they consider him to be worthy? He is worthy. Why? 
They said, for he loves our nation. In other words, he is a patriot. He is a patriotic person. He loves our nation. Therefore, he is worthy. Then they said, it was he who built us our synagogue. He is a religious person. Therefore, he is worthy. You know what Jesus said? Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at this man and turned and said to the multitude that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. It is faith in him that is counted as worthy. He prays for their worthiness. He prays for their walk. He continues in verse number 11, may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Their faith was expressed in love in verse number three. He prayed for that, that you'll continue to love. He prayed that their faith would be expressed in endurance in verse number four. And he prayed that their faith would be expressed in power. Warren Wearsby wrote, if we believe God, we will receive his power in our lives. We cannot be victorious in tribulations if we only trust ourselves. But we can be victorious through trusting him. And then Paul prayed for their witness in verse number 12. In order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, when we live by faith, we walk in love, then you give a positive witness. When you live your life in faith and you walk in love towards others then your witness is positive. And the Apostle Paul said, if a man is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away and all things become new. So he prayed for their faithful service, their worthiness, their walk, and their witness. Now let me conclude. These Thessalonians were suffering. To the extent that some believed they were living within the great tribulation. It was a very difficult time for them. As Paul writes to them, he says, there is coming a day of righteous judgment. You are suffering now, but there is coming a day of righteous judgment. And he said, and when it comes, the believers are going to experience relief. That God is going to make things right. One day the Lord will make things right. That's what he says. And unbelievers will experience retribution. Those who choose to live their life without God will experience eternal destruction and eternity without him. Here's what I think. You are going to get what you want. You're going to get what you request. If you say, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life, I want to live my life according to his word, then you're going to get the blessings of God. You're going to get the favor of God. Maybe not right now, not the way you have it planned, but he's going to make things right. If you determine, I am going to live my own life, my own way, without God, without the word, without that, then the Lord will say, well, that's your choice. And there is eternal destruction and eternity apart from the Lord. But that's the choice. Our gracious Father and God, we come to this time having read and studied your word, encouraged by so much of it,
But Lord, I pray today for those who are present who have never committed their lives to Jesus that today they would. Father, they would, they would determine, I, I, want, I want to know the Lord. I want to live for the Lord, that they would. Father, I just pray that you'll break the hearts of those who have rejected you, that they might see the foolishness of it, that they might come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for salvation. I pray that during this invitation time, the Holy Spirit will move and do that that only he can do. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we'll stand and the choir will sing as we extend an invitation to you. If you're here without Christ, the staff will be here to receive you. Love to talk with you and pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our church family. Stand with me, please, as we stand and they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.